Hey all you cool cats, kittens, and Kim 101 majors in quarantine. My name is Thornton Muncher, a sophomore English major at Birmingham Southern College, who has found himself investigating an ongoing crime at BSC with my good friend and fellow forensic scientist, Lauren Beagle. Howdy partners, I'm Lauren Beagle, a sophomore art major, also not qualified to solve this crime, but I'm going to do my best anyway. And today, we're going to be telling you the story of the curious killing of Miss Clip and our experience investigating the crime. Buckle up, Wildcats. It's about to get real. Our true crime podcast follows the untimely murder of Beatrice Clip, a student at Birmingham Southern College, which is a small liberal arts school in Birmingham, Alabama. BSC is the type of college where most people know everyone on campus. Even if you're not involved in SGA, Greek life, or even theater, most people tend to at least recognize you and know who you hang out with. Exactly. It's a college that prides itself on being a community, and that's why the murder of Beatrice shocked everyone. Thornton and I were first made aware of the crime when Dr. Kate Hayden, professor of chemistry, emailed us on January 31st, 2020. She told us that numerous police officers and FBI agents were swarming Stevens Science Center. She suspected that someone had been murdered. However, at this point, we did not know who was dead, who committed the crime, or the possible motives. We got our first glimpse of the crime scene on February 4th, 2020, four days after the murder of Beatrice was reported to local police officers. At once, when entering a lab on the third floor of Stevens Science Center, we noticed that a young woman, presumably in her early 20s, had been murdered. She was still sitting in her lab chair, and her lifeless arms and head lay face down on the counter of her lab bench. We noted that there was a gunshot-sized hole in her back. Additionally, we noticed that there was a backpack on the lab bench as well. However, we did not know if this was Beatrice's or someone else's backpack. Near the lab door, we sighted four shoe prints that were outlined in dirt, two in the forward direction and two in the backwards direction. Outside of these initial observations, we did not know much more about the crime until we received the suspect reports. Lauren, do you want to tell us briefly about our suspects? Sure. Our first suspect is Sally Jenkins, the victim's roommate. According to our suspect reports, Sally called the police Friday, January 31st, 2020, morning after discovering Beatrice on the third floor chemistry lab, room 301 of Stevens Science Center, unresponsive and suffering from a gunshot wound to her back. She reported that when she woke up and realized Beatrice had not returned to her dorm, she grew concerned that she had fallen asleep while studying for her MCAT and went to find her. Upon entering the lounge, Sally reported trying to wake up Beatrice by shaking her shoulder, which is when she noticed the blood and called Ted, her boyfriend. She reported that she was in shock and didn't know what to do. It was Ted that calmed her down and told her to call the police. Sally was then taken to the hospital as she was in obvious shock and in need of medical care. Regarding her alibi, Sally and Jade were at a dance club in downtown Birmingham named Five Points Music Hall. Jade and the charges to Sally's credit card corroborate her story. Jade reported that Sally, having too many drinks, passed out as soon as she got back to her dorm, and neither one of them noticed Beatrice was missing. The police also obtained the shirt she was wearing the night before, 
fingerprinted, and swabbed her hand for gunshot residue. We'll discuss our conclusions of this evidence later during our story. Our next suspect is both a friend of Beatrice and Sally's boyfriend, and his name is Ted Bernard. We were informed that Sally said that she called Ted after discovering Beatrice in the student lounge while panicking Friday morning. Ted arrived on scene soon after and told Sally to call the police. When the police arrived, Ted was questioned about his relationship with Beatrice, who he claims is just a casual friend. He seemed calm and concerned for Sally. People questioned Ted if he knew anyone who might want to hurt Beatrice, and Ted said no. He really didn't talk to Beatrice. He did say that he overheard Sally and Beatrice talking once about an argument Beatrice had with Alvin, Beatrice's boyfriend, a few days prior. Apparently, it was a pretty heated argument. Beatrice had even slapped Alvin and then stormed off. Ah, we just love to see when suspects point fingers at other suspects. Yes, we do. And when the tea simmers, we're here for it. Mm-hmm. Regarding his alibi, Ted claims he had been studying in the library till 8 p.m. Thursday night, and then he went to the cafeteria for dinner. His meal plan card was scanned at 8.07 p.m. He ate and went back to his dorm around 9 p.m., where he said he watched TV till he fell asleep. Sally woke him up the following morning with her phone call. Ted's roommate was unfortunately out of town and unable to corroborate his story. We were informed that the police confiscated a pair of New Balance tennis shoes and a t-shirt that Ted was wearing on Thursday from his dorm room. Police also fingerprinted Ted during their investigation, and Ted's hands were swabbed to test for gunshot residue. As no quality crime would ever be complete without a suspicious boyfriend, we have to mention Alvin Douglas, the boyfriend of Beatrice. We were told that Alvin was alerted to the discovery of Beatrice's death by police on Friday at 9.17 a.m. at his apartment. Alvin seemed demonstrably upset and said he had not heard from Beatrice Thursday night or Friday morning, but he was not concerned because she said that she would be sitting for the MCAT in Stevens Science Center. He and Trixie had shared a romantic picnic in the pavilion at the Ecoscape Thursday afternoon around 1 p.m., followed by a quick walk along the nearby trail. They parted ways around 3 p.m. so she could study. Time out. If they're taking romantic picnics in the Ecoscape, we need to monitor their relationship more closely. It was not too long ago that the Ecoscape was being hunted for the Birmingham Bigfoot, didn't you hear? Though that information does not pertain too heavily to the crime, it is significant to note that they could have had a significant time alone. Whether they were cryptozoologists or just creepy romantics, we will never know. However, Alvin reported that he and the victim had started dating during their first year at BSC after taking... BI-110 together, and reported that they had been in an exclusive relationship ever since. When questioned about who might want to hurt Beatrice, Alvin said that he wasn't sure. Beatrice seemed to get along with everyone. The investigators then questioned Alvin if he and Beatrice had argued recently. Alvin said that like most couples, they had their arguments, but they always made up and usually it was about trivial things. But he couldn't recall any in the last couple weeks. Everything was great. Alvin also told police that he was playing an online video game, Medal of Honor, with his roommate, Dean Kantz. Both Dean and internet records support this claim. Regarding the evidence collected, police confiscated a pair of black leather work boots and a t-shirt Alvin was wearing on Thursday from his dorm room. Police also fingerprinted Alvin and swabbed his hand for gun residue during their investigation. 
Our last two suspects are disconnected from her roommates and romantic relationship. First, Beatrice's brother, Josh Clip, was on campus. Josh was notified by police as the closest next to Ken at his on-campus residence on Friday morning. Josh was visibly upset. Upon questioning, he admitted to seeing her on Tuesday, January 28, 2020, for lunch in the cafeteria. He said it was obvious she had been crying. When he questioned her, she just said it was stress of the upcoming MCAT. However, Josh had admitted to being suspicious that things were not going well between his sister and her boyfriend in recent weeks. Oh, shoot. No pun intended, of course. At this point in the suspect report, I remember being suspicious of Alvin because both Ted and Josh mentioned that their relationship might not have been as all as he was leading us to believe. Regarding his alibi, Josh reported that he and his girlfriend were together in his apartment on the evening of the murder watching Netflix. Both internet records, neighbors, and the girlfriend corroborate the story, and we were informed that police confiscated a t-shirt that Josh was wearing the night of Beatrice's murder. Our last suspect apparently has no relationship to Beatrice at all. Crystal Lee was on the first floor of Stevens Science Center on Thursday evening finishing up work due for her E-term class. Friday morning, she was working in the lobby when she noticed the police investigation and news crews. She volunteered to speak with police as she said she had heard what sounded like a firecracker go off around 11.30 p.m. the night before. She had walked around but didn't see anyone and didn't think much of it. Folks are often in here studying, blowing off steam. I figured it was just some kids trying to have fun. Police showed her a picture of Beatrice. Yeah, sure. I see her in here studying at night a lot. I don't know her. We just say hi when we pass each other in the hall. But come to think of it, about a week ago, I saw her in here with a guy that seemed like they were having a pretty intense conversation. Police showed her a picture of Alvin. No, that's not him. Interesting. Regarding her alibi, Crystal was working on the first floor of Stevens and reported hearing a pop around 11.30 p.m. Thursday night. However, there was no one to corroborate her story. The police confiscated a t-shirt Crystal was wearing on Thursday evening, and they also fingerprinted and swabbed her hand for gunshot residue during their investigation. Throughout this podcast, we will explain five major pieces of evidence that helped develop our hypothesis for the crime. First, we will examine soil samples that were taken from Beatrice's shoes, Alvin's boots, and towels, and Ted's shoes. Second, we will discuss the eight fibers found on the victim. Third, we will examine the fingerprints we lifted from the crime scene and the note found in the victim's pocket. Fourth, we will discuss the drugs found in a snack that the victim supposedly had eaten at a picnic prior to her death. Finally, we will examine gunshot residue found on one of our suspect's hands. After presenting our evidence and discussing our findings, we hope to prove our hypothesis. My partner and I believe that Beatrice was murdered by Alvin Douglas around 1 and 3 p.m. on Thursday by means of poisoning her at the picnic. We believe he wrapped her body in the towel and later placed her in room 301 of Stephen Science Center. After she was placed in room 301, we believe that Ted Bernard shot an already deceased Beatrice in the back around 11.30 p.m. to throw forensic investigators off the original cause of death in an effort to protect Alvin. You might be wondering why Alvin would want to murder Beatrice, especially after they had been dating since freshman year of college. Well, we do not have evidence to prove this theory, but Thornton and I believe that Ted and Alvin could have been in a closeted relationship known only to themselves. We believe that Beatrice might have discovered that Ted was cheating on her roommate Sally and informed Alvin that she was going to tell her. 
Although Beatrice knew Ted was cheating on Sally, we do not believe that she knew he was cheating on Sally with her own boyfriend, Alvin. Thus, Beatrice could have been murdered in an attempt to silence her newfound knowledge so Alvin and Ted could continue their romantic relationship in private. If you think the story so far sounds wild, just wait. It only gets crazier from here. Let's get into the evidence. Lauren, do you want to start with the soil? I would be absolutely thrilled to. So the first part of our investigation involved analyzing soil samples from around BSC's campus and comparing the soil samples to the evidence collected from the victim and suspects. We found that Beatrice's shoe, Alvin's beach towel, which was supposedly used during their picnic, and Alvin's shoes all contained soil matching soil samples found in the ecoscape. We were able to match the soils to their respected areas during our microscopy of the suspect samples by comparing them to the microscopy of the known samples. Our known samples were taken from the apartments, Bruno Hall, the Ecoscape, and Stevens Science Center. During the microscopy, we examined the color, structure, size distribution, and presence of non-mineral particles. Beatrice's shoe, Alvin's boot, and the towel all had a similar color, fine structures, a uniform distribution, and no non-mineral concentration, which all aligned most closely with the soil taken from the ecoscape. This confirms that the two were in the ecoscape at some point during the day of the crime and supposedly used the towel for their picnic. We also found that Ted's shoes were found with soil matching the soil samples from Stephen Science Center. In a similar manner to our microscopy of the prior evidence, we noticed that the soil on Ted's shoe had a much darker color. The structure of soil had large clumps, the overall size distribution was larger than any other sample. It matched most closely with the soil taken from Stephen Science Center. Now, this could be used to connect him to the crime scene, but we do know that Sally apparently called him to the crime scene before police were contacted, so we must take that into consideration. Of course. So while analyzing just the soil samples, everything appears to match up with the suspect's stories. However, this is no simple stories, ladies and gents. After we examined the four shoe treads left at the scene of the crime, Lauren and I believe that two prints matched Ted's shoes, which, again, could be explained since he apparently arrived at the crime scene before the police. But get this. We believe the other two shoe treads belonged to Alvin. Our examination was based on the pattern and length of the treads. I know. Crazy, That's right? That's right. Alvin, Beatrice's boyfriend who should have no ties to the crime scene, left evidence behind directly linking him to the scene where her body was found. Hmm, it seems like Alvin and Ted might be soil mates. Ah, oh, what a groundbreaking theory. But don't soil yourself focusing on just the dirt puns just yet. Let's move on to the next piece of evidence. Now we're going to discuss the fingerprints found at the crime scene. We were able to lift a total of eight prints found around the scene of the crime by dusting for prints. As we discovered, dusting for prints works best on non-porous surfaces like the lab benches or the glass windows on the door in our crime scene. Our eight prints were found in a collection of spots on the door, the window on the door, outside of the window on the door, and near the victim on the lab bench. After we transferred these prints to paper, we examined their unique patterns, such as the loops, whorls, and arches, 
and compared them to the known fingerprints of the suspects that the police initially took. Dismissing what could have been a gunshot as a mere trifle. We think she was in the building due to her statement to the police, but she never admitted to being at the crime scene. Thornton and I think maybe she might have come to investigate the scene, and after touching the door and lab benches and seeing Beatrice's body, she fled, hoping not to be involved in further investigation by authorities. Exactly. Since we don't have any other evidence connecting her with the murder, we have no reason to believe she had any further involvement. Still, she does not have anyone to confirm her alibi to prove her innocence, so even if she did help commit the murder, she seems forensically the less likely to be involved. Regardless of Crystal, Lauren and I do believe that someone else may have had more extensive involvement in the Yeah, as we mentioned before, Beatrice also had a note in her pocket. Now, this note doesn't contain any written significance it just says hi but it did have a fingerprint that we believe matched with ted's known prints we used the iodine fuming method to reveal this print since iodine fuming works better on porous substances such as the paper found in the victim's pocket returning to the crime at large there's no reason for beatrice to have a note from ted based on his claimed relationship thornton and i think it could have been a distraction or something but we aren't completely sure and are just speculating now, Thornton, take it away with those fiber samples. Sure thing. To begin, there were eight fibers found on the victim's body. One fiber on the back of Beatrice's head in her hair, one on her shoulder, one on her right upper leg, one on her left ankle, and the other four fibers were found underneath her fingernails. After conducting our morphology of our respective samples, which included examining the color, size, texture, and how the fiber was wound, we believe that the suspect fibers found in the victim's hair, left shoulder, and possibly the left ankle, though as a disclaimer, we are not positive on the last fiber, match the known fibers of Alvin's towel. Additionally, all of the fibers found underneath her nails matched with the shirt oh, that, that Alvin, Alvin What a spooky boyfriend. Thornton, why do you think she was covered in fibers from the towel supposedly used during their picnic? Well, thank you for asking, old sport. After our discussions, it really just depends on how you view Beatrice's relationship with Alvin. If you believe their relationship was going smoothly, like Alvin claimed, Beatrice could have been lying on the towel and possibly having a romantic experience with Alvin. However, if you believe their relationship was rocky, like Ted and Josh claimed, it is possible that she could have been dragged away in the towel. I tend to lean towards the latter theory, since all four fibers found underneath her fingernails match with the shirt Alvin was wearing. Perhaps some form of a violent altercation occurred in the ecoscape, during which Beatrice tried to defend herself and scratched at Alvin. Or, if she was having a romantic encounter with Alvin, it could be that she ripped off As his shirt. As a side note, Thornton and I are not judging. If this was a consensual, aggressive sexual encounter, more power to her! <laughs> And that's the tea, sis. We stand third-wave feminism. Nonetheless, Lauren and I aren't completely certain about the nature of Alvin and Beatrice's interaction with the ecoscape. However, the evidence does confirm that they were there. The final two fibers on the victim's leg, the upper right leg, and possibly the lower left ankle, were matched to Ted's clothing, yet another piece of evidence possibly linking him to the victim. We believe that because these fibers were on her lower regions, it is possible that Ted either helped drag Beatrice's body from the ecoscape 
or helped position her body in Stephen's Science Center. Regardless of their interaction, Ted must have been physically close to her body for fibers of his shirt to be found on her lower body. Now, the next piece of evidence is chilling. Lauren, would you like to share about our presumptive drug testing? The next piece of evidence we want to discuss leads us to believe that a deliberate poisoning took place on Birmingham Southern College's campus on January 30th. The Alabama Department of Forensic Science shared with us a piece of evidence they found in Alvin's apartment, a box of chocolate covered cherries. When the ADFS found the box, they asked Alvin why three cherries were missing. This is what he told authorities as a tear fell from his eye. Trixie ate some at our picnic on that Thursday, the last time I saw her. I bought them for her because I knew they were her favorite. If Lauren and I have learned anything in our Greco-Roman mythology course this semester, it is to always be cautious about taking gifts. Just ask the Trojans or Persephone. Absolutely. So it makes sense that the ADFS would be interested in testing the candies. And a known suspect changed to a very similar color. After performing this presumptive drug test on the cherry flavoring, we examined our results and believed that diphenhydramine, commonly known as Benadryl, was in our sample. Thornton and I believe that Alvin injected diphenhydramine into the chocolate cherries, knowing that Beatrice would eat them and hopefully they would kill her in the process. Full body chills. On May 5th, we received information from the ADFS regarding Beatrice's medical records. We were told that she was extremely allergic to that specific drug. You might be wondering who would know something like that. Hmm, maybe the person that she has been dating since her first year at Birmingham Southern College? Additionally, since diphenhydramine, otherwise known as Benadryl, is such a common drug, no one would think twice about Alvin purchasing some. Who knows, he might have already had a bottle of Benadryl in his apartment, just waiting to silence Although we do believe that since Beatrice was extremely allergic to diphenhydramine, and this is what killed her, Alvin still made an attempt to murder Beatrice. Even if she happened to survive the poisoning and later was executed via gunshot to the back, we do not think that Alvin would knowingly inject diphenhydramine into his girlfriend's favorite candy and intentionally bring it to their romantic date unless he was planning something malicious. Exactly. Even if he didn't want to buy her a jumbo stuffed animal for the upcoming Valentine's Day holiday, there was no reason to murder her, unless he wanted to keep her from revealing his true secret, that he and Ted were in a romantic relationship and both were cheating on their girlfriends. Again, although we cannot prove that Ted and Alvin were lovers, based on the forensic evidence uncovered, it is our ongoing theory. Moving on to our last piece of evidence, and perhaps the most damning, we examined the suspects for gunshot residue. All of our suspects were subjected to a gunshot residue test, and they almost all tested negative, except for one person, Beatrice's roommate's boyfriend, Ted. As a side note, we would also like to mention that the ADFS ruled out suicide as a possible cause of death because the gunshot wound was in her back. When we began GSR test, we first tested the suspect swabs for nitrite. Using a prepared grease test paper, we placed the five swabs on top of the grease test paper and then placed the paper towel with vinegar on top of them, making a forensic sandwich of sorts. We ironed the top of the vinegar paper towel, 
to vaporize the acetic acid in the vinegar, forcing acetic acid vapor through the GSR specimen and into contact with the test paper. This allowed the vapor to react with sulfanilic acid and alpha naphthol present in the test paper forming the orange dye, which is produced in the presence of nitrites. And once we discovered that, drum roll, wait for it, Ted's sample tested positive for nitrites. We decided to test for the presence of lead as well. Since nitrites can be found in very common materials, such as blue jeans, laundry detergents, and disinfectants. To test for lead, we sprayed the sample with a rhodizonic acid solution, which should make the sample turn pink or red in the presence of lead and other materials. And it turned exactly as we predicted. Additionally, we used a concentration of HCl to confirm that the lead was the metal present, since HCl will force the tested stain to change blue only if lead is the element present in the suspect sample. Though we did not find a literal smoking gun, we did at least discover a suspect who fired a gun recently. As we have stated earlier, we believe that Ted shooting Beatrice in the back was a deliberate attempt to send police and forensic scientists down a rabbit hole. As a brief wrap up, we're going to get into our proposed timeline of the crime based on all the evidence we have analyzed and the information presented to us. Starting about a week before Beatrice's untimely death, Crystal witnessed Beatrice in what seemed to be a verbal argument with a man that Crystal did not believe to be Beatrice's boyfriend, Alvin. Although although we are not completely certain who it was due to lack of evidence and witnesses, we suspect that Beatrice could have been arguing with Ted. Speaking of our favorite suspect, Ted, Ted reported that a few days before the murder, he witnessed a fight between Beatrice and Alvin, where she reportedly slapped Alvin. Tensions would have been high after this instance of physical violence. Still, we can all agree that Ted isn't our most reliable witness for reasons we have outlined in our prior discussion. We do know that during the afternoon of Tuesday, January 28, 2020, Beatrice's brother, Josh, saw Beatrice crying in the cafeteria. Josh was concerned and asked his sister what was wrong. She told him she was just stressing out about her upcoming MCAT, but Josh did not believe that was the only reason. He reported that he believed Beatrice's emotional turmoil had something to do with Alvin, even though Beatrice denied any problems in the world. Moving forward to Thursday, January 30th, the day before her body was found, Alvin and Beatrice met in the Ecoscape on campus for a supposedly romantic picnic at 1 p.m. They were supposedly there for two hours, and this is when Alvin claims he gave the chocolate-covered cherries to Beatrice. Around 3 p.m., Alvin says that Beatrice left to go study for the MCAT, and that's the last time that anyone saw her alive. Thornton and I believe that Beatrice had been murdered by this point due to the poisoning, and after a physical altercation with Alvin, her body was drugged away by Alvin and Ted, which could explain why she had the towel fibers in her hair fibers of Ted's shirts on her leg, and fibers of Alvin's shirt underneath her fingernails. After 3 p.m., we have no more sightings or suspects who claim to have interacted with Beatrice until Sally found her body the next morning. While we have mentioned our theory that Beatrice was murdered in the ecoscape, other theories are possible because we do not have an official cause of death. If one believes that Alvin did not murder Beatrice by poison, it's possible to believe this narrative. 
After hours of Beatrice studying in room 301 of the Stevens Science Center, Crystal heard a noise that she said sounded like a firecracker at 11.30 p.m. that Thursday night. We presume this noise was the sound of a gunshot, since Beatrice was shot in the back. Although we already believe Beatrice was dead due to poisoning, others might believe that this was the moment of her murder. Finally, on Friday, January 31st, 2020, at 9 a.m., Sally arrived into the lab to find Beatrice already dead. A modern-day tragedy. And that's everything that we know, folk. We, of course, wish that we could go into more detail and know what happened for sure. But mostly what we have is just theory with our forensic evidence to support our hypotheses. While working on this case, we had quite a few limitations, and we feel it's necessary to mention those. Some of the most pressing limits were that we were not able to examine the body, receive an autopsy report from a coroner, or interrogate the suspects True. more completely. Also, without being able to do those things, we still have some unanswered questions. What was Beatrice's confirmed time of death? Was her death caused by the poison candy or gunshot wound? Why would Ted shoot Beatrice if she was already dead? What was Alvin's motive for killing Beatrice, and why was Ted involved? Why were Crystal's fingerprints Who did Crystal see crime? Beatrice fighting with before the murder? What happened in the hours after the picnic and before the gunshot was heard? If the poison caused Beatrice's death, how did Alvin get her body all the way across campus and into the lab without raising suspicion? Was Crystal more involved than we initially thought? I could literally go on for hours just asking questions about all the holes in this case. But that would take up too much time, and unfortunately, we're probably going to get boring pretty quickly. So let's pause there. Of course, if we had more evidence, Lauren and I would not have had nearly as many questions at the end of the case. Focusing on what could have assisted in our investigation, an autopsy would have been very beneficial, since it could possibly tell us the time and cause of death. A toxicology report would also have been helpful to answer our questions about her being poisoned with a diphenhydramine, again focusing on the cause of her death. Blood splatter patterns would also have been super helpful to give more details about the gunshot wound. Honestly, it could have proven if she was even shot in the room where, he, where we found her body. In general, a more detailed investigation into Beatrice's timeline and her last known whereabouts would have proved substantial. Additionally, conducting more interviews around campus with fellow students and professors to see if there were any witnesses could have greatly assisted our investigation. I wonder if anyone thought to ask Campo about surveillance cameras. I mean, that would also require us to actually have a safe number of cameras on campus. But, you know, no time to get political here. Wow, Lauren. Who would have thought that during this semester, we would be both solving a murder and trying to stay healthy during a global pandemic. This world is wild and uncertain. Reality really is stranger than fiction. Still, we appreciate all of our listeners, especially Dr. South and Dr. Hayden, who will be grading our performance in this course, who took the time to listen to yes. all 35 minutes. Thank you so much podcast. for listening. And if you have any information regarding this crime or that could possibly lead to the arrest of any of these suspects, please do not contact us because we are on summer break. Uh, we advise that maybe you call the police or um, email President Coleman. Better yet, just send him a TikTok. 
he's really into that social media platform right now. Well, that's all, folks. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay alive. Residents of Birmingham Southern College. Or we could be discussing you on the next episode of Beagle's Butchery and Muncher's Murder. See you next time.